Hey, everybody. You know, after a short summer break, we're back and ready to roll. And we're so glad to have each and every one of you here with us right here and right now. And I had a beautiful plan for today's episode that's actually very different than what we're about to do. But yesterday at 8.27 a.m. in the morning, the president of the United States literally logged on to Twitter targeted four young women of color in the United States Congress and told them to go back home to the countries they came from and said that for him, quote, they can't leave fast enough. Never mind that all four of them are American citizens who were elected to office by resounding majorities. Never mind that three of them were actually born right here in the United States and that the other was just a little girl when her family arrived here and that she's an American citizen. The thing is, they aren't white, and they're not afraid of him. And in one swoop, Trump made one of the most racist public statements that we've ever heard from a president in the modern history of this country. First, I need to explain to you the danger that I think his words could cause all of us, and then I'll unpack how we got here. Because Trump targeted these four women after several Democrats in power gave him mixed signals that they were fair game. Let's dig in. This is Sean King, and you are listening to The, the, the Breakdown. The, 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 the Breakdown. The, 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 the Breakdown. Three years ago, almost to this very day, a young family was outside of Minneapolis, Minnesota, and they were pulled over by police in a horrible case of racial profiling. The officer, seeing the man who was in the passenger seat, Philando Castile, the officer saw Philando ride by and later claimed that the shape of Philando's nose reminded him of a nose that he saw in a video of an armed robbery weeks before. Just think about that. It was nearly the 100th time, which blows my mind, it was nearly the 100th time that Philando had been pulled over by police in that area. And he was a beautiful soul. He was the supervisor of an elementary school cafeteria, and he had memorized the names and food allergies of every child in the school and they loved him. The school loved him, and his family loved him. But I had never heard of Philando Castile. I had never seen or met him before. And the first time I saw his face was on Facebook Live. And it was just moments after he had been brutally shot by that officer. Someone who knew the family sent me the video just minutes after it went live. It had not gone viral, and only a few people were watching. And the person who sent it just sent me the link. They gave me no explanation. And when I clicked on it and saw this man, who we later came to know as Philando Castile, and I saw this man, white T-shirt, completely soaked in his red blood, gasping for air. I know this sounds dumb, but when I saw him, I actually thought it was fake. His fiance was in the uh, driver's side next to him, and I just couldn't understand her calmness. My mind couldn't make sense of this incredibly calm woman, this man who seemed to be bleeding to death. I don't mean this as a diss, but when I first saw it, 
I thought it was just like uh, bad acting. I thought it was a movie. Because, of course, in my mind, of course, nobody would really be next to someone who was just shot, someone who was dying and be that calm. Then I saw her baby girl right there in the back seat, and I swear to you, I thought I was watching some type of dramatic film that was somehow, you know, Facebook Live was kind of new, and I thought it was a dramatic film that was somehow being first aired on Facebook Live. Like, I thought it was a, a political movie that was on Facebook Live that they were showing a movie of police brutality. And I was literally the first person to share it, and I shared it on Facebook, and I shared it on Twitter, and... In my post, I was still so confused by it that all I literally said was, is this real? Because I was watching a man who had just been shot by police. I was watching him breathe his last breaths, and my mind could not compute if it was real. Indeed, it was. And Diamond, his fiancée, was so calm. One, because she was in an utter state of shock. But she was so calm because the officer continued to point his gun at them. And the situation was so fragile that she didn't know if she and her daughter might also get shot in that moment, too. And sometimes real life is so disturbing, so wild, so awful, so problematic that when you see it for the first time, your mind struggles to catch up with the fact that what you're seeing is real. I felt that way a few months ago when I first heard that Nipsey Hussle had been shot and killed. It just didn't seem possible. And yesterday morning, when I first saw what appeared to be tweets from Donald Trump, I thought that maybe they were a spoof uh, from The Onion because in the tweets that I saw, he was telling Congresswomen Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Ayanna Presley, Ilhan Omar, and Rashida Tlaib, he was telling them to go back to the countries they came from. In the tweet, it said he wanted them to go back to countries, quote, whose governments are a complete and total catastrophe, the worst, most corrupt and inept anywhere in the world, if they even have a functioning government at all, Trump said. And when I saw him say that these four women, quote, can't leave fast enough, it was one of those moments where my mind struggled to believe that what I was looking at was real. Now, listen, I've covered Donald Trump as a journalist. I've covered him for years now. I've written dozens of articles about him. I know that he's a stone-cold bigot. He was a racist in 1989 when he called for five innocent teenage boys to be executed, executed in New York for a crime they didn't even commit. He was a racist when the federal government sued Trump and his racist father for housing discrimination all the way back in 1973. He was a bigot when he called for a complete ban on all Muslims entering the country. He was a bigot when he called Mexicans rapists and murderers. He was a racist when he sympathized with violent white supremacists in Charlottesville. Listen, I could go on and on, but I've seen a list of the top hundred racist things said and done by this man. 
So it's not that my mind was shocked to see him be a bigot, but my mind was shocked for a few reasons. Let me break it down. Break, 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 break it, it down. down. Few statements have as much of a racist and white supremacist history as a white person, normally a white man, 100% of them descendants of immigrants, looking at an African-American or an immigrant or any other person of color, a Latina, a hijabi woman, few statements have as deep and rich of a bigoted history as a white man looking at a person of color and telling them to go back to the country they came from. And it's interesting that Trump said it this past weekend because it was actually just a few days earlier that he literally invited dozens of white supremacist internet trolls to the White House. And this phrase, telling people to go back to the country they came from, is actually a favorite refrain from white supremacists online, but it's been said by bigots in this country for at least 150 years. But in the modern era, it's never been said publicly by the President of the United States. It's the type of thing that you would normally see come from neo-Nazis or the KKK. And so when the President of the United States says this, and not even just in a general generic sense, but directs it to four specific women of color in the United States Congress, in one instant, in one fell swoop, Trump has just normalized what had always been seen as an extreme form of racism and bigotry and xenophobia. He just normalized it. But what people in power do in moderation, their followers do in excess. So while Trump had already done so much to normalize hate in this nation, yesterday, in my opinion, yesterday was different. And unlike his call to ban Muslims, unlike his love for white supremacists in Charlottesville, where a small band of conservatives in Congress, each of those times actually called him out for it. For the first time yesterday, not a single elected Republican, no members of Congress, none of them, no Republican members of Congress at least, whispered even a faint criticism of his open public racism. That's new. And as I record this, it's been over 30 hours without a single Republican rebuke of the blatant racism coming from the president of the United States. Nothing. At this point, their silence means they are complicit. And that's really what silence always means. But Trump's attacks, and particularly that phrase that they, quote, can't leave fast enough, it not only endangers all four of these courageous women, it really endangers all people of color. The president of the United States has now lowered the bar for what's acceptable to say to people. He's lowered the bar for what's acceptable to think about people. And it's all rooted in his racist definition of who's a real American and who isn't. Now, he doesn't have a problem with immigrants. He's married and had kids with two of them. They each hardly spoke English when he met them. He didn't care about that. His mother was an immigrant. His own grandparents barely spoke English and literally lied to get into this country. 
Yesterday, multiple white men in Congress who weren't born in the United States, like Jim Himes and Don Bayer, white men who've called Trump out over and over again. Both of those men are Democrats. They've called Trump out over and over again. They both said yesterday, and I thank them for it, they both said how strange it is that they are never told to go back to the country where they were born. Because here's the thing, for Trump, this is about white supremacy. This is about white power. And those four women don't fit into Trump's little white box of who belongs here and who doesn't. But this one thing is clear. Trump walked into a doorway to attack these four women that the establishment Democrats opened up first. Now, of course, and I, and I have to say this, Trump said and did what only he could say and do, and he's solely responsible for his own words and actions. But over the past few weeks, Democratic Speaker Nancy Pelosi has repeatedly demeaned and ridiculed these four women in multiple interviews. And it really started boiling over on Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and on Saturday, even with the official Twitter account of the House Democrats chiming in on their attacks against them. So when Trump started his attacks on Sunday morning, if you notice, and very few people are talking about this, at the end of his tweets on Sunday morning against these four women, notice that he ended them by literally saying that he'd bet Nancy Pelosi would pay for their tickets to leave the country. He said that because he saw what I saw. He saw her public critiques of these four women. I saw on Saturday the white supremacist Ben Shapiro literally talking about those public critiques. And it all reminds me of a local radio interview that Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez did right here in New York earlier this week where she said that what Pelosi was doing was going to make the world less safe for her and those other three women. And now here we are, living in that unsafe moment that AOC saw coming just a few days ago. Because she knew what I know, which is that when white people in power, Democrats or Republicans, when white people in power begin to marginalize and ridicule people of color, particularly in the climate that we're in. It gives other people who may not have the same principles that you do, it gives other people the thought that they have full permission to pile on. And over and over again in 2019, Democrats have made it clear that Ilhan Omar is fair game to attack, that AOC is fair game to attack, and Trump decided to come in and exploit the weakness that they opened up. So listen, I wanted to give you my thoughts and my opinions and my heart on this because I do think that we've hit a new low. And some people will say, Sean, it's been low, but this is, to me, a line that's been crossed. But before we go, before I run, I want to share an action step for today. Action, action. So far, over 17,000 of you have already joined our brand new Action Steps team, and that's at thebreakdowncrew.com. And we're trying to grow this team as large as we can, 
We already have people from all 50 states and dozens of countries on the team. But if you haven't joined yet, we need you to join now at thebreakdowncrew.com because we're about to take the quality and depth of our organization much, much deeper. It's great to have a big team, but we need a team that's deeply organized. Now, I'm not so into press conferences or trending topics. I'm talking about us organizing ourselves in a serious, systematic way to fight for real change, to not only defeat Trump, but to change the systems and laws that are frustrating us, to change those things from the inside out. Now, I've said this many times, but this podcast and our parent company, The North Star, we're not just here to change the news. We're here to change the world. So for everybody who has signed up at TheBreakdownCrew.com and for everybody who is about to, when you do, I'll be sending you our next steps. And so if you ask, what is The Breakdown Crew? You have to sign up to get the instructions. It's a compliment to the podcast. But we explain after each episode in great detail how we can take action together. You'll notice that many times I don't tweet about it, I don't Facebook about it, I don't Instagram about our action steps. It's just us taking it. It's a private team, and I want you to be a part of it. And today we're going to start making this team deeper than just an email list. I'm going to be asking you some serious questions so we can understand how we can organize ourselves better moving forward. Let's go. Let's go. Break it down. Thank you all for making it all the way through this episode of The Breakdown. We're glad to be back and we're going full force for the rest of 2019. Again, sign up now at thebreakdowncrew.com to join our Action Steps team today because we're taking our action steps to the next level and we need all hands on deck. If you haven't already subscribed to our podcast, we'll be right back here every single weekday. We'll be right back here tomorrow, breaking down important news stories and issues. And we'd love for you to subscribe on your favorite podcast apps like Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And please share this podcast with your friends and family because our next big goal is to get to 100,000 subscribers and we're not going to get there without you. Also, have you left a review yet? Because on Apple Podcasts, we now have over 9,500 five-star reviews, but we're aiming for 10,000 and we're so close, so we still want to hear from you. So please leave your best review when you get some time, all right? Thank you, of course, to the nearly 30,000 founding members of the North Star whose generosity even makes this podcast possible. We love and appreciate each of you so very much. Now, if you love this podcast and you want to support our work or you want to see the show notes and transcripts for each episode, we'd love it if you consider becoming a founding member of our community. And you can do that now at thenorthstar.com. There we not only have our podcast, but hundreds of original articles and stories and commentaries from some of the leading scholars and thinkers and journalists in the world. Lastly, a shout out to our associate producer, Lissandra, and our podcasting director and senior producer, Willis, for their hard work on this and every episode. Take care, everybody. Break it down.